So I have a question for you this morning, and that is, do you see yourself as a person who's observant? Do you think you're an observant person? I, I think if I were giving myself a grade, I would have probably given myself probably a C plus on the observant level. Uh, one day when we were in California, at like two o'clock in the afternoon, all day long I'd worked, had meetings and things. I looked down at my shoes and realized I have a black and a brown one on. <laughs> uh, I, I thought I was observant. Usually I catch Allie's haircuts at least within like three weeks of when she's had them, you know? Uh, but we were in the car the other day and my daughter Capri um, pointed at a FedEx truck and she said, dad, you see the arrow in the FedEx logo, right? And I said, what do you mean? The arrow in the FedEx logo. Now look closely between the E and the X. Now, how many of you have seen this like a thousand times? And how many of you for the first time, this is like, are you kidding me? Right? Okay, join me. So I, I had my, are you kidding me moment? And we looked up a couple more. So Amazon, you guys have seen this logo. I think half my paycheck goes to Amazon these days. But uh, I, I had always thought about the cute smiley face on their logo. But did you know that they have everything from A to Z? I didn't know that. So that's a, a part of their logo. Or the, the next one, Baskin-Robbins. Uh, we like Baskin-Robbins. I had no idea that they celebrated the 31 flavors in their logo. Uh, some of you are like, oh, are you kidding me? And then in Brunswick, I drive a Toyota. There's a huge Toyota um, logo there. I always thought it was funny that their logo was a guy wearing a cowboy hat. Uh, that's what I see in that. Nobody, nobody sees that. But, but this is, this is <laughs> you guys are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Well, that's what I see. But look at this. So who knew that it actually... Actually, if you uh, do this, you can spell Toyota. Now, now you know, right? You know, you know what's, what's great about that? When Capri showed me the FedEx, and you guys are all going to do this with me from now on. Whenever you see FedEx, you're going to see that arrow going forward. And, and this morning, what I'm excited about is as we grow in our ability to study and interpret God's word for ourselves, that I celebrate the fact that we can grow in our ability to do that. That we can increase in our capacity to understand the truth of God's word for ourselves. And so, so yeah, at first sight, we might miss things. And, and in fact, this process that we've been studying together as a church family is for us to be individuals that understand what it means to observe the text well, to interpret the truth of God's word well. And then the, the hardest step, if we're honest, uh, is to apply the truth of God's word to our lives. And, and this morning, as we continue on in this series, I want to encourage you that taking God's word personally is something that we have to do. That we have to be people who are not just hearers of the truth of God's word, but that we're people who are doers of the truth of God's word. I want to ask you to join me in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. A description of God's word that Apostle Paul uses that describes it like a double-edged sword. I'll confess to you, I've been cut by this sword before in my life. I've needed it to challenge me, to spur me on, and maybe less thinking of it like something that is an attack weapon, but instead like the surgeon's hand, that the Lord has chiseled away things, cut away things in my life that he needed to. Look at these words. It says this in verse 12 of chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints, of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. God's word is described as a sharp 
double-edged sword. And I think that God's word is something that is incredibly relevant to us today. That it has truths that we can apply in our lives and, and that this, this morning as we focus on the text this morning, we're going to recognize the fact that if you and I can get, we can grow in our ability to get into the habit of applying the truth of God's word in our lives. That we can increase our capacity to understand it for ourselves. And this morning as we go through this, we're going to to wrestle with what it means for us to take scripture personally. And I'm guessing for some of you, when we talk about applying the truth of God's word, you're standing back and you're saying, wait a second, isn't that your job, Pastor Brennan? Isn't that your job, the person who sits at the, at the pulpit and communicates truth? And this number 17 haunts me. In fact, I think of this number 17 almost every time I stand up to preach God's word because there's been multiple studies that have attempted to identify what percentage of people believe that what they hear on Sunday morning from the pulpit actually applies to their life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And what they have found is it's only 17% of people believe that, in, that, that, that God's word, the way it is taught, is understood in a way that's relevant to their lives. Now, now, some of you blame me for that, right? You say, well, that's the pastor's job to, to make sure that it's cut up and, and put in a proportion and an understanding that applies the truth to my life. And I agree that that's a part of my responsibility, but I'll also challenge you. Uh, praise the Lord that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the divine paraclete, our helpmate that helps us to understand the truth of God's word. Isn't that great that we have access to the author? But beyond that, I will also remind you that you individually, I'm not going to let you off the hook this morning, that you individually have a responsibility to apply the truth of God's word in your life. I had a wonderful mentor in seminary that challenged me. He said, There's, there should be no sermon that you ever hear that you can't learn something from. Now I'm thinking, I've heard a lot of sermons. I've heard a lot of sermons that are okay. I've heard a lot of great sermons. But what he was saying was that we ought to be able to be people, if someone's teaching the truth of God's word, to be able to understand if we agree with what's being taught, if we understand it, that we grow in it. And at the end of the day, that we strive to apply the simple truths of God's word to our lives, whether the sermon was lousy or not, right? And so it's not just the responsibility of the teacher, but the, the experience that I've had in my own life is to be able to say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me today? In other words, the great question of application is, so what, right? Why are we here? What are we doing? What's the purpose behind this passage of scripture? And what is God trying to teach me? So it is your job. It's 100% your job. It's my job as well. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And if you have your Bibles, we are in Hebrews 4. Let's flip back to Hebrews chapter 5. I love this passage of scripture. We talked about sharp things. I, I love using my chainsaw when it's sharp. I love cutting things with knives that are sharp. But, but then this text describes when we're dull. When we allow our ears to become dull. And it's a powerful image. It says this in verse 11. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. Uh, that, that statement is, it sounds almost offensive, doesn't it? He's saying, you're slow to hear and understand the simple truths that I'm teaching you. I'm discouraged by it. But what's great about it is that we can get better at this according to what the Apostle Paul says in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need someone to teach you again. 
the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, which again, I think is a little offensive. But what he's actually saying is, I'm trying to spur you on. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is a baby. They're unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Verse 14, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That last sentence is incredible to me. I'm guessing that for some of us, we're worried more about trying to correct a slice on the golf course or to perfect, perfect that perfect recipe that we have or to, to improve uh, our ability to understand a language more so than what, what he says here in this last verse, that we can get better about not only understanding the truth of God's word, seeing it accurately, but ultimately to have the skill to apply it in our lives. Remember what Jesus said that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Remember, he said that there's some people who want to put burdens on other people's backs that they themselves are not willing to bear. And the thing that distinguishes that person that's just a hearer of the truth of God's word and the doer is the person that understands the value of applying the truth of God's, in God's word in their life. Uh, I think we need to allow the sharp truth of God's word to pierce us. I think we need to allow the sharp truth of God's word to, to change us. I, I love the first point this morning. Great application begins with great questions. And I, I think God's word is, is full of things that are helpful for us that, that we can understand. I want to share with you uh, three ways that you can uh, ask questions of scripture that are going to help you to apply it. And as I preach, these are questions that I ask when I work on sermons, and I hope you do when you listen to what other people are teaching or you study God's word for yourself. The first question is, is there an example in the text for me to follow? Is there, the second question, is there something that's here that I need to accept or is there a transition that I need to make in my life? Now, um, God, or Jesus taught us that man doesn't live by bread alone, and I, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. And I want to remind you that we want to be people who eat the truth of God's word in our life. We apply it. So the first way is this question that's on the surface here is, is there an example in scripture for me to follow? When you study historical narrative or scripture and you look at stories that have taken place, some of those stories give us examples that we say, I want to be that kind of person. I want to be like Peter that jumps out of the boat in obedience to follow the Lord, that, that, that there's that sense of reckless abandon in our life. And other times we look at stories of people who do great evil and we recognize there's something for us to avoid. And so when we study stories, history, we ask that question, is there an example for me to follow? It could be a positive example, or it could be something that we strive to avoid. The second question, a sub-question underneath the example to follow is, is there a prayer in the text that I need to learn from? Do you guys remember the words of King David in Psalm 51? When he, when he talks about God creating a clean heart with, with, inside of him. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. There's so many beautiful prayers in scripture. I think of Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving at the birth of Samuel. Jonah and Jonah too, his prayer from the belly of a fish. Think of Paul's prayer to the church in Ephesus or um, in Ephesians 3 or Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. 
You think of prayers. There's prayers in scripture and it's appropriate for us to stand back and to say, Lord, what, what are you doing to teach me how to pray? I want to thank Pastor Jim for his leadership in our weekly prayer meetings. And uh, some of you have asked, are we going to continue to pray? Yes, that's a legacy that he's left behind that we love prayer. We recognize that. And one of the things that we do on our Wednesday night prayer meetings is to pray scripture and to understand what God has taught us when it comes to understanding how to pray. Another example in scripture for us to follow is, is there something for me to memorize? Is there a verse that I need to, as David said, to, to hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against him? Somebody came up after the first service and they said, I can't memorize scripture. I'm lousy. Does anybody want to relate to that? I'm no good. And, and I, I love, we were just talking about it. Part of what we're saying is that it's just a part of your life that you're saturating your life. We agreed that she'll, she'll put post-it notes up of scripture, you know? Uh, and uh, she, she just recognizes that this is something that's valuable. And I'll put it this way. If you haven't hid, it, hid God's word in your heart, you're exposed. That you, you may expose yourself to temptation and sin. So this is, this is a vulnerable thing if we choose not to do it. And this second question, is there something that I need to accept? I believe that in the truth of God's word, he's given us a number of things that Really, he says to us, he's provided for us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us for his own glory and goodness. That's pretty all-inclusive, isn't it? And so you hear that truth and you recognize that God has given us a gift. I want to tell you a story of a missions trip that I had the privilege of leading with a bunch of junior hires to Ocean City, New Jersey. And on that trip, we had, we had a, an incredible time. We painted one of the tallest um, historic churches in downtown Ocean City. Maybe some of you have seen this church that we painted. It was a great team of students. We had a blast. But one of the things that we'd do is we'd work all day, and then it was pretty hot and humid out there. And then for the, about the last 45 minutes, right before the sun went down, we'd go to the beach. Well, um, there was a kid in my youth group. His name was Tommy. And uh, I think you all know a Tommy. Maybe you are a Tommy, but he gave me a run for my money as a pastor. He always was ch he's, you know, a character, always a character, always doing something silly. And Tommy came up to me, and as sincere as he could possibly be, he said, Pastor Sean, he was in tears. He said, Pastor Sean, I'm so heartbroken because we're going to the beach later on and I forgot my bathing suit. And so he said um, there was a place where the, the students could go get a pop in the middle of the day and they sold bathing suits. He said, I just need 15 bucks, all right? Now, so I'm cheap, so I said, I'll loan you $15, right? Because I'm really not that nice, let's just be honest. So I, uh, so I, loaned, I loaned Tommy $15 to buy his bathing suit. And we're out on the beach later on at the end of the day. We're having just an incredible time. And I see Tommy come out and he has his best pair of jeans that he has cut off and turned into a bathing suit. And he's walking with his brand new boogie board that he bought with my $15, you know? <laughs> Um, I, uh, I, I prayed for Tommy that day, all right, you know, so, you, you know, when it comes to the truth of God's word, I'll just gently remind you that he's given us the best things. He's offered for us the sufficiency of our needs. And that story always stands out to me that he had what he needed. He really did. It was sufficient, but he chose to just do it his own way. And can you imagine his mom when he got home and his jeans are all cut up? You get it, Right. Like that that's our natural tendency. And I, I think that there's this question when we ask, so what? And then we ask, is there something that I need to accept? I'll just remind you that when it comes to studying God's word, 
that some of his promises to us are unconditional. They're promises that, I I like the way that uh, David Jeremiah puts it, God said it, I believe it, and it's true, right? You know, it's just, it's just enough for us. God said it, I believe it. So there you go. And some of those promises, we need to just accept the fact that these simple truths have been shared. But for other truths, there's times where we look at promises that are conditional in Scripture. They were made for other people. or There's a, an ability for us to only understand them when we've chosen to follow through the if-then that was established in Scripture. And it's important for us to understand that. Salvation is one of those That it's a gift that needs to be received. It's based on unconditional love, but it's a gift that still needs to be received. And so when we see the promises, is there there a promise that God has given me that I need to accept? The follow-up question to that is, have I received what he's chosen to give to me? The next is, is there a challenge to face? I think that part of the Christian life is that God is asking us to be uncomfortable at times. The steps into the discipleship means that we go and do uncomfortable things. Do you remember Jesus sent his disciples and he intentionally told them to leave their wallets at home? You guys remember that? Your extra money. And he was, he was allowing dissonance there to allow them to wrestle with what it meant to obey him, to depend upon him. Is there a challenge that God's asked me to do? Is there a removal of something in my life that's drawing me away from God? Is there an apology that needs to be made, a new habit that I need to cultivate? I think these are all challenges that God may be asking us. The next is, is there a command that I need to follow? You know, in the book of James alone, there are 54 different commands in the book of James. Some of you are like, I'm avoiding that book then, right? There's there's an understanding that God's word has exhortations and challenges. I love the way one friend puts it. He says, people talk all the time about wanting to understand God's will for their life. And scripture contains about 95% of what we need to make every decision that we'll ever need to make in our life. And the, the last 5%, we can probably figure out through the counsel and the truth of God's word. If you want to find God's will for your life, I think it's important that you understand the truth of God's word. I think that it's important for us to understand that There are things that we need to accept when it comes to what God has communicated to us. Uh, Another question in that area is, is there a condition that I need to meet? Is there something that he's asking of me? Is there a plan that he has for me that, that, I, that requires me to follow through? Have you guys ever heard the phrase, there's one, more than one way to skin a cat? It's kind of gross, isn't it? I don't even know what that means. But I can promise you that there is only one way to put together an Ikea bookshelf, all right? <laughs> I promise you that. Um, I, I, I don't know how you guys are, but I think almost all of us have been through the process of ignoring the instructions or you make it to step 127 and you realize that you missed something on step three and the only way for you to follow through with that that building it's going to require a craig jig and a and a, a saw and some glue right you guys know what i'm talking about that there's a step and a process and and one of the things that i appreciate about the god of the universe his understanding of us when he says us that his says to us that his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us, that there's a part of that declaration that reminds us of his sufficiency, that his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so when we sing that song, oh, my life, you've been faithful, 
The person who can say that is a person who's chosen to take God at his word in their life. So is there a condition to meet? Uh, are, are there times in scripture where there's an if-then statement? Of course there is. Think of John 15, 7. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We need to be people who understand God's conditions and the promises that he gives us. The, the third question, so what question is, is there a transition in my life that I need to make. Remember, this is what takes us from being people who are just exposed to the truth of God's word to actually allowing it to impact the way we live our lives. And I think this is a really important one. The sub-question under this is, does scripture have a sin that God wants me to avoid? Do you guys remember those of you who are, um, have been believers for a long time? When you first became a Christ follower, you may have seen the things that are expected or not expected of Christians. You might have been shocked by that list of things. Like, I can't do what? Are you kidding me? But what I understand about God's loving kindness, the way it's described in Romans 2, is that it's God's loving kindness that leads us to righteousness. And so it's not just a checklist of things we do and don't do, but instead, as I grow in my knowledge of an understanding of him, that, that there's sin that I look at in my own life and say, what part does this have to do with my life? Uh, another sub-question under, is there a transition I need to make, is... Is there, is, there, um, is there something that I need to change my mind about? This is a, a theological term we use, uh, repent, right? Turn away, change your mind. Let's time to move away from something. And I think that, that scripture's clear that there are times when we need to repent and change our mind to move on into another action. Another one that has seemed to be lost these days is, is there an, a theological error that I need to correct in my life. I think that some people get tossed around these days. Someone describes it as blessed is the man who is not, not caught and does not listen to the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. That statement is so profound and it describes the person who's just blown in the wind that is tossed around. And I think today, let's be honest, we live in a time period in history where there are more theological opinions than have ever been in the history of the world accessible to you because of the World Wide Web, right? Because of the internet, you can find teachers that can teach just about anything. But what's powerful about this application question is asking yourself the question, what is God teaching me about himself? What are the theological truths that he's giving me? How does this impact? I want to share a few of these. My understanding of the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah, the resurrection of the dead, the virgin birth, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to have God in us? What about the inerrancy of scripture? These are just a few of the teachings that run up against our culture and they ask us to question what is essential in our lives. And I think it's appropriate for us to say, Lord, I want to be a person who takes you at your word every step of my life. Do you guys agree with that? Do you understand that there are other voices that, that would want to minimalize or speak some version of their opinions into what I believe is the authority and simple truths of God's word? think that 
it's important for us to not just talk about this or these three questions, but uh, I'm going to give you some homework today. We're going to work on this together. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to um, try to learn a spiritual lesson from the devil, all right? You guys are going to stick with me through this? We're going to learn from the example of Satan uh, from the first temptation and the first sin that ever entered into the world. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now remember, we're working through what we've said is observation, interpretation, application, and these essential application questions that we're going to ask of the text. Is there an example? Is there something that I need to accept? Or is there a transition that I need to make? All right, so now the serpent... Uh, This in its context we know is Satan the devil, that he is more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die." But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So, so here, this familiar passage of scripture, really a tragedy that had happened. It's important for us if we had time, and I want to give you homework to do this. If we had time to spend time making observations about the text, we'd, we'd be able to go back to Genesis 2 and to see what, what is it that God really said to Adam and Eve? What is the specifics? And then as we see Satan and we try to understand what is happening, we know later that he's cursed, that's weird, that he's an animal that can talk. There's, there's things that are complex about this. But as we study this together, one of the things that is helpful for us is to move towards establishing principles that we can learn from this historical event that happened so many years ago. And I'll just remind you, when we think about principles, it's taking scripture and boiling them down into ideas that apply very specifically to our circumstances in our life. So second point this morning is discovering biblical principles gives us portions of scripture to live by. <laughs> let's, let's just be honest. Um, we, we don't live in a one-size-fits-all world, do we? Uh, like, like we, we appreciate the fact you think of a wedding dress or on your wedding day, the, the specific tailored custom fit thing. There's, there's a recognition that we're, we're different. I remember in Liberia, it was such a kind thing. We had a missions trip where we had a team in Liberia. And at the end of our two weeks that we were there, a gift that was given to us were custom-made shirts that that fit every team member, that they had been sewn, custom made. So it's kind of awkward, right? To picture yourself out there working and they're like sizing you up. And, and, and on the last day, it was just this, this recognition of, of gratitude from them that was custom fit. A biblical principle is a universal truth that we allow ourselves to apply very specifically to our circumstances. So, so we can learn something if we go back to this passage of scripture about Satan, about the schemes of Satan. We can, by asking ourselves these simple questions that we've been going through in this series, what does it say? What essential truth or principle does it teach? And what are the implications 
of this principle when it's applied to my life. Simple questions, um, but they're helpful. I love the, the reality that some of us walk into this room and our hearts are heavy. We're going through difficult things. We ask ourselves the question, does God's word really apply to my life? Does God care about my third grade math test? Does God care about my boss that's difficult? Does God care about my grandmother that's sick? And I'll just remind you that, that God's word has provided for us the wisdom that we need. And as we distill it into timeless principles, it allows us to address things that are really difficult today, like a pandemic, like ethics, abortion, wealth, euthanasia, justice, politics, world events. These are all difficult things. And I love how Howard Hendricks clarifies this. He says, the Bible is not intended to be a book on biology, psychology, business, economics, or even history. When it does speak to those issues, it does so truthfully, but not comprehensively. The Bible is written to teach us about God and his relationship with humanity. It is our duty and a responsibility as those seeking to come into a deeper and more abiding relationship with God to learn how to apply his revealed truths in our everyday lives. That's what we're talking about today. We'll need to think through his word and make biblically informed choices upon how we should live. Love that statement. So we're looking for boiled down universal truths that apply to our circumstances. So let's go back to Genesis 3. Uh, I'll share with you some of my work as I wrestled through this with the book of Genesis chapter 3. These are some life lessons that I've learned from the devil through good observation and interpretation. One uh, we've seen, as, especially as we apply this to other scriptures, but we see it in verse 1, that Satan is really good at manipulating God's word. When we began this series, we talked about the temptations of Christ and how Satan knows scripture probably better than some of us do in this room. A second thought is that he maximizes restrictions. He loves to add to God's restrictions. You notice that simple statement about must not touch. He minimalizes consequences, doesn't he? He reminds us that maybe it's not going to turn out as bad as we think it might be. Satan loves, verse 5 teaches us this, that he loves to avoid the label of sin. He is good at confusing good and evil. He tempts us through our appetites. And, and probably a theme that runs through all of this is he loves to call God a liar. And he wants us to agree with him, doesn't he? Isn't that what Satan does? That he's a master at doing this. And I, I want to remind you as we move into principles and applying this truth that it's essential for us to get beyond good intentions, third point this morning, and uh, to, to take deliberate action to get beyond just good intentions, right? I, I love, I attended a leadership conference with, uh, that was, was put on when I was a teenager by, hosted by Zig Ziglar, which is really fun to say. And uh, Zig Ziglar, in all his energy on stage, said this statement. He says, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time, right? And, and it's a, a simple statement, but when we talk about good intentions, oh yeah, that, that passage of scripture, remember, we love to apply it to other people, but we want to be people who move beyond just having good intentions, but to actually say, how does this impact my life? What does, what does it mean for me to pay the price of obedience? What does it mean for me to sacrifice or to respond? And I really think that that's what it means to be someone who, who moves into that 17% that we talked about, that, that says, you know what, God, what are you teaching me? And am I willing to receive what you've asked of me? So, so I'll just be really specific with this passage that we looked at in Genesis 3. Here's a few of the personal applications 
that I, I think about in my own life. So what appetites do I currently have that the devil would love to exploit? If you've ever read the book Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, it, it, it kind of plunges into this theme of what, what would Satan love to do to get me off course? Uh, follow up of that is how can I avoid putting myself in a situation where I can feed those appetites? Is that a great application question? So, so what are my, do you understand, let, let's make sure we catch this. This is personal, right? This is individualized, that this is a part of you being honest. I know myself well enough to be able to say, oh, my temptations, my appetites might be different than someone else's. Second personal question is, what lies about myself and about God do I need to reject and, and a follow-up part of that is I love to include others in this, brothers that are along the journey with me to be able to say, hey, man, uh, this is a struggle for me. I want to make sure that I am committing to this. And people who are kind enough to remind you of what you've committed yourself to. The third is, is there a sin in my life that I'm ignoring, but I'm today having to deal with the consequences? So you might look at this, and I'll just remind you, you might have a whole different set of applications that come out of those verses that we looked at. That's, that's what we're talking about, is training ourselves in righteousness, right? It's moving beyond just having a good theory, a good idea, to allow ourselves to have God's word saturate our lives. I, I love the fact that God's word is incredibly relevant to us. I love that um, if we get into the habit of applying it into our lives, that it can become something that's so much more than just an academic exercise, something that's so much more than just something we do on Sunday mornings where we share a meal together once a week and assume that it's going to sustain us for the rest of the week. But instead, it, we allow ourselves to be able to access the truth of God's word in such a way that it actually changes our lives. Do you want to see that happen in your life? I'll tell you, I sure do want to have that happen in my own life. And I just pray that as you, uh, you probably can't unsee those logos that I shared with you at the beginning of the sermon. Um, you can't unsee those. I hope that that's the case for you when it comes to the truth of God's word, that you find yourself moving from being just a hearer of God's word, but to actually commit yourself to being a doers of God, doer of God's word. You guys in? You guys, you guys recognize how essential that is? Um, today, I mentioned earlier, uh, as we come to the conclusion of this message, I had somebody after the first service come up to me and they said, you know, Pastor Sean, those affirmations about being a person who applies the truth of God's word in their life, that Pastor Jim and Linda have lived that with us over these last 11 years. And I love that, to be people of the book that love the truth of God's word. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to honor what Jim had asked of me, and that is to really uh, close this time out to make sure that this Sunday um, has kept the Lord at the fore forefront of everything that we did. We're going to sing a song uh, together. We're going to worship together, singing a song, Never Once. And if you remember the lyrics of this song, it is one of those songs that just reminds us of the Lord's faithfulness. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. I'm going to pray for us. And as we sing this song together, we pray that the Lord is glorified as we strive to lift his name up here in this place. Lord, we love you and I thank you for your steadfast love for us that never ceases, that we can look at our own lives and say that there has never been a time in our lives when you haven't been faithful, 
that you haven't provided for us everything that we need, Lord, that you have neglected or ignored us. And so, Lord, as we, as we worship together, I want to thank you publicly again for Pastor Jim and Linda and their incredible ministry, their legacy that they leave on our Hope Church family. And I pray for your hand of blessing upon them. I pray, Lord, also that they would always feel incredibly welcome here in this church family that has considered it a huge privilege to have them serve and to model faithful ministry for each one of us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us great comfort and wisdom as we strive to continue to sing the praise that you are worthy to be honored with. And so tonight, or today, this afternoon, as we lift up your name, I ask that you'd be glorified in this place as we sing this powerful truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.